Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, PodcastOne.com, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. We begin today's meditation with a few sipping exercises to remind us a little treat can go a long way. So pick up your McCafe iced coffees, close your eyes, and deep sip in. And deep satisfaction out. <sighs> Take a treat retreat at McDonald's. Right now, get a McCafe iced coffee in any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price of participation may vary. Today on The Charlie Kirk Show, I sit down with one of the most accomplished business minds of the 21st century, Tom Lewis. He has a blueprint and a guide for how young people can create a successful and meaningful life. He argues, follow your talent, not your passion, that following your passion will actually harm you. A very convincing argument. You guys are going to really enjoy this show. Email me your questions, freedom at charliekirk.com freedom at charliekirk.com. Make sure you're subscribed to The Charlie Kirk Show by typing in Charlie Kirk Show, your podcast provider, and hitting subscribe. Enjoy this conversation, everybody. Thanks so much. Here we go. Charlie, what you've done is incredible here. Maybe Charlie Kirk is on the college campus. I want you to know we are lucky to have Charlie Kirk. Charlie Kirk's running the White House, folks. I want to thank Charlie. He's an incredible guy. His spirit, his love of this country. He's done an amazing job building one of the most powerful youth organizations ever created, Turning Point USA. We will not embrace the ideas that have destroyed countries, destroyed lives, and we are going to fight for freedom on campuses across the country. That's why we are here. Well, Tom, thank you so much for joining the Charlie Kirk Show. Uh, I know that we are socially distanced right now. Can't wait to dive into the book, but why don't you just introduce why you wrote the book and some of the big themes behind it, and then we can go from there. Yeah, well, um, I started working on that book about four years ago, and for a period of about 20 years, my wife and I were very active in a scholarship program here in Arizona and also at the University of Kentucky, where we interviewed many high school seniors and uh, granted some of them scholarships to go to college. And I would spend an hour with each applicant which would typically be about 40 a year. And uh, and then we would select 10. My wife and I both did that. And I saw a trend happening over the, that 15 or 20 year period where students were seemingly uh, becoming less uh, ambitious, uh, more concerned about their passion and their happiness. And, and um and I also saw kind of a decline in, in, in the boys. You know, the girls were really raging ahead, but the boys were kind of falling behind. <clears throat> and I started wondering what was going on. And uh, we also have three sons that are now in their 30s. But I can see something's really changed in America. And uh, this generation, I'll call it the millennial generation, is being raised uh, <clears throat> or in, in an environment that is teaching them lessons that are not true. And uh, there's a lot of myths out there. I call them popular myths. Um, you know, follow your passion, do what you love. Uh, 30s, the new 20, you know, things like that. And, uh, you know, I really love giving advice and what I hope is wisdom to young adults. And I've done that my whole life. And uh, so this book really is the, the result of that. Uh, and I uh, try to pass those on to the next generation. Well, great. So let's pick up right there. Um, you know, Tom, why don't you dispel that myth for us? I hear it all the time. Students say, well, Charlie, I'm told to follow my passion. 
Well, let's play devil's advocate. Uh, what is wrong with that? Can you dispel that as someone who's achieved a lot of success in the business world? Why shouldn't students follow their passion? Well, you just brought up John Calipari, so I'll I'll switch to Kentucky basketball. But I grew up in Lexington, and I had a passion for basketball, except I was five nine and a half, couldn't jump very well, and had small hands, and so I couldn't dribble very well either. So I still loved the game of basketball, and I could clearly say I was I was passionate about it. But had I pursued that, I would have been a huge failure. And uh, but instead, you know, I found I had I had academic skills, mathematics skills, engineering and business skills. And I pursued those. And I think it had a big role in, in the success that I've had because following your talent is, is really one of the key messages in this book, not your passion. Because passion also changes. Every, every few years, your passion will probably change. But your talent is not nearly as flexible. It's, it's more... Uh, consistent. That is very valuable insight. And I talk to lots of young people that might have a temporary passion for a specific form of literature or for art. And they say, well, I've been told to follow my passion and I could always be right. Uh, However, they might have a talent for something completely different. And if you align it just perfectly, sometimes your passion and your talent can be overlapped. Is that correct? I think you touch on that in this book. And I do want to get into some of the performance character traits you have here, which I find to be very interesting. You talk about achievement, assertiveness, competence, discipline, hard work, judgment, perseverance, reliability, resilience, responsibility, responsiveness, and self-control. You could write a book just on that. But can you talk about when you're able to intersect talent and passion and how if young people should even pursue that um, ideal intersection? Well, you know, I introduce another principle uh, when it comes to the connection between talent and passion. And um, the idea is, I'll give the raising children analogy. Your children are born and you raise them and you work your hind end off, you know, trying to be a good parent and you suffer quite a bit and you put in a lot of effort. And then the older they get, the more passion you have for your children because you have so much invested in them. You know, the, the word passion comes from the Greek word pathos, which means suffering. And the whole idea the old meaning of passion was you suffered so much for something that you then had passion for kind of like the passion of Christ actually. So, um, but so really I I think once you find your talent and go to work on that and, and, and take on a, a hard thing and invest yourself in it and commit to it and stay with it, you'll find that passion follows. I think passion comes more at the end or along the way than it does at the beginning. You can't just sit in your room and think about what am I passionate about. You have to kind of live it, I think. That is a, I, I would agree with that completely. And a lot of young people don't know that because they're not exposed to enough. I, I, I actually never went to college, which is probably why I got the head start that I did. And I'm not anti-college. I just think we have too many people going to college in our country and that we have far too many people borrowing money they don't have to study things that don't matter to go find jobs that don't exist. With all the uncertainty in the world, feeling safe at home has never been more important. It's why I want to talk to you about Simply Safe Home Security. They're longtime friends of our show, and for good reason. Simply Safe has made it easy to finally get comprehensive protection for your home. They are criminals on the loose. Break-ins are up 75%. They are letting rapists out of prison. Do you want to protect your family? Do you want to protect your loved ones? Do you want to protect your home from the criminals? 
that are on the loose, well, then Simply Safe is the option for you. There's no technician or salesperson that needs to come and disrupt your home. That drives me nuts. When they come into your home, they come into your apartment, you got to rearrange your schedule. It's a disaster. You don't need to pay any outrageous monthly fees or to your contract. You just order online. Set it up yourself in under an hour, and your home is protected 24-7 with emergency dispatch for break-ins, fire, and more, all for just 50 cents a day. And I'm not the only fan of Simply Safe. U.S. News and World Report named Simply Safe the best overall home security of 2020. So just head to simplysafe.com slash Charlie and get free shipping and a 60-day money-back guarantee. That's simplysafe.com slash Charlie. If you want to protect yourself from the criminals on the loose, you might not be working because of the Chinese coronavirus. You might not be working because of everything being shut down. But do you know who doesn't take time off? The criminals. They never stop committing crimes. So protect yourself and your family. It's simplysafe.com slash Charlie. They're the only home security system I put my name behind. All the property I care about is protected. The break-ins, the looting, the arson, the crime can stop if you have Simply Safe. You can install cameras. 911 dispatch is so much faster than any of the other competitors. I've used it. It's easy to understand. And once you set up, you can sleep easier and everything you care about is protected. And it's just 50 cents a day. Simplysafe.com slash Charlie. You have an entire chapter here uh, on hard work. I talk about this all the time. I actually um, have a bracelet on that I wear every single day that says be better, work harder, which is every single day you can work harder than you did yesterday. The problem is if you actually believe in compound interest theory over a year, you're not sleeping at all. So uh, I'm saying that half kiddingly, of course. Can you define how you define hard work? Because this is a cliche in our society. This is something that young people are told to work hard. You have the great Vince Lombardi quote, of course, the coach who won the first ever Super Bowl, the Green Bay Packers. The only thing more important than the will to win is the will to prepare to win. How do you define hard work to a young person that might be confused about it or they just look at it as a cliche? First of all, I just read chapter seven in the book. But I'll, I'll talk to you about that a little bit because, I mean, uh, hard work, simply put, is not 40 hours a week. Uh, if you look at the great athletes, uh, they're the best example. Like you, we're all watching the Michael Jordan uh, video right now. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at the effort he put in. You look at the effort that uh, Dennis Rodman put in. I mean, we're talking 80, 100 hours a week, okay, at least. I mean, so the, the great performers in sports – put in, let's just say, 100 hours a week. You know, to think that you can get by or or be successful putting in uh, 40 hours a week is a huge joke. And, you know, in my life, I probably worked 60 to 80 hours a week my entire career and still do. And, um, but, so you have to put in the time. And if you think about it, no matter what your job is, there's always more to do. If, there, if you're a doctor, there's more patients. If you're a salesperson, there's more sales calls. If you're a businessman, there's more more people to contact and papers to read and whatever. So there's always more work to do. And so the only real variable there is how many hours a week, let's say, are you willing to invest? You know, I was always willing to invest whatever it took. And that was usually, I'll say, 80 hours a week, maybe. Uh, if, if you're only willing to invest 40, then, you know, you can get most of your work done. <clears throat> but it's it's kind of like going to school. If you go to class 
and you don't do your homework, you can get a C. If you go to class and do your homework, you can probably get a B. But to get an A, you have to go to class, do your homework, and then do more, do more research, do more, you know, reading. And that's how you get an A in school, you know, at least you used to be able to. Um, so if you just work 40 hours a week, you're going to get a C in sure. your career. Yeah, I have a question. So on page 341, you have recommended books. You have a couple on there I'd like to talk to you about. Uh, of course, the Bible. I want to get into that in one second. But you have Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. I've read this book. I've studied this book. He has, I think it's the 10,000-hour rule in that book. Now, to kind of connect your comment right now about hours per week, I have seen this hotly debated by social psychologists and by people that are kind of in the world of the rage to master, whether or not there is an hour requirement. From your experience, do you find any validity to the 10,000-hour rule, or do you find it more to just be a general rule that you need to put in a certain amount to hit that kind of inflection point? Well, I don't think, I think he, that's just kind of a, a principle, really, or, a, or kind of a milestone that he's suggesting. Mm -hmm. just to, but I think, I think the 10,000 hours, if you said over 10 years, that's, you know, a, an average work week is 2,000 hours a year. Okay, that's a 40-hour work week. So that's an, that's an additional five years of time. But, uh, and so that, I mean, I, I actually totally agree with Malcolm Gladwell's principle there, that it takes a massive amount of hours that you have to invest. This idea of work smarter, not harder, that's one of the myths. That, that's a, that's a non-truth right there. You have to do both. But, but the, but, when I talk about hard work in the chapter, uh, first of all, it's a number of hours that you put in. But, you know, as you put in all those different hours, and if you're paying attention, as you should be, there will just be all kinds of little subtleties and benefits that will come your way. <clears throat> and, for example, the biggest or one of the biggest ones of those is, is self-esteem. You know, the harder you work, the, the better you feel about yourself. Um, you know, uh, and, we, you know, we all want more self-esteem. The, the other thing is, is the harder you work, the more adversity you encounter. Think about it. Um, you take on hard, when I talk about hard work, I'm not talking about uh, doing some kind of uh, mindless task. I'm, I'm talking about fully engaging yourself in what you're doing. <clears throat> and the more you do that, and the more you challenge yourself, uh, the more adversity you encounter. You know, you know uh, there's a book written out there called um, 10x and it says anything you want to accomplish is t probably going to take 10 times the effort that you think it will initially by grant cardone yeah yeah exactly so you start doing hard things you invest yourself and then you uh you encounter adversity and then what happens when you encounter adversity kind of knocks you down and then you fight through it and the more you do that you build your resilience so really you know, everybody wants resilience and um, and self-esteem, but uh, all you have to do is, is work hard and you'll get both. And, you know, I actually have to say something funny here to me. <clears throat> There's a new book out there on resilience by Sheryl Sandberg and Adam Grant. I think it's called Option B or something like that. But the whole, it's about resilience, and that's a very popular topic these days. And they're, and of course, both of them are professors. Okay, so you have to, you know, I'm an entrepreneur and a businessman, and uh, and a 
but anyway, Angela Duckworth and Adam Grant are both college faculty. And so they've sat in their ivory towers and figured out what it takes to be to be resilient. And you can do it all behind your sitting behind your desk, you know, just kind of thinking about it. And but anyway, from my view, resilience comes from hard work, so does self-esteem, and uh, that's a beautiful thing, really. Yeah, I I love that. Um, you know, I always tell people, I they say, well, Charlie, how were you able to start Turning Point USA from nothing? And I say, well, we had no money, no connections, no idea what we were doing. But I made a promise to myself. I said, I will not be the smoothest talker or the best looking person, but no one will outwork me. And I've tried to always say that. And it drives some of our teammates here a little bit up the wall at Turning Point USA because we never say no to the 3 a.m. interview on West Coast time or the midnight meeting. But that I actually believe that success happens at the margins. It's the it's when you do those little add on extra things that people will usually say no to. It's the partying on the weekends or it's the things that you think are just, oh, I could do that later. It's the cutting of the corners uh, that far too often that is the difference between uh, success and mediocrity. And far too often we have a generation that believes that they can achieve uh, the utmost uh, level of success or for lack of a better term, they can get on top of the hill without actually having to put in the work. With this tough economy, I know there's lots of HR issues popping up. How do you comply with state and government regulation when it comes to the Chinese coronavirus? HR issues can kill you. That's why you need to get Bambi. Wrongful termination suits, minimum wage requirements, labor regulations, and more. HR manager salaries aren't cheap, and they're an average of $70,000 a year. Bambi, spelled B-A-M-B-E-E, was created specifically for small business. You can get a dedicated HR manager, craft HR policy, and maintain your compliance all for just $99 a month. With Bambi, you could change HR from your biggest liability to your biggest strength, and this is $99 a month. Your dedicated HR manager is available by phone, email, or real-time chat. From onboarding and terminations, they customize your policies to fit your business and help you manage your employees day-to-day, all for just $99 a month. Month to month, there are no hidden fees. You can cancel anytime. You didn't start your business because you wanted to spend all of your time on HR compliance. Let Bambi help. Get your free HR audit today. Go to Bambi.com slash Kirk right now to schedule your free HR audit. That's Bambi.com slash Kirk. Spell BAM to the B-E-E, Bambi.com slash Kirk. So I do have a question here. Uh, you have, of course, I'm so pleased to see an author and a leader such as yourself mention Aristotle uh, because that is not uh, talked about enough, uh, Aristotelian ethics. And, of course, you have uh, one of my favorite quotes, moderation is the golden mean between the two extremes. Uh, and a lot of Aristotle's writings were, for, of course, a cross-examination of Plato, who begat, who begat before him. Uh, and you also have the Bible listed here as a recommended book. Here's, my, here's one of my questions, and Aristotle obviously pioneered this idea of the individual and what is, is, and as you are a person, you can make sovereign decisions. Do you find that when you deal with young people, as we do at Turning Point USA, do you find that young people's ambition has been whittled down because they are no longer treated as sovereign individuals, but instead just part of a broader collective with their ambitions and their potential visions that have just been basically diluted under this false idea that, you know, there is some sort of status collective that might exist for them? Um, I think the short answer to that would be yes, I do. I think I've spent a lot of time with young adults. And I do think the ambition 
I've seen the ambition kind of get squeezed out of them. I was talking to one young man who we gave a scholarship to a few years ago, and I asked him if he played sports. And he, he's a big, tall, athletic-looking guy, a very good student, too. He said, no, I, I never have. And I go, why not? He goes, well, uh, I've always been taught that, you know, it's not appropriate to compete with someone because you, you shouldn't try to prove that you're better than anyone else. Okay? So and I kind of went, what? You know, but, but so here was a talented young 18-year-old who was told not to play sports because competing uh, was inappropriate because it made other people feel less equal. And so uh, I don't think there's any question that uh, <clears throat> this generation, or I'll say people under 30 today, certainly those in college, have, have been indoctrinated to believe that, this, that everyone is equal, equal. And by equal, they don't mean equal rights or equal opportunity. They mean equal. Okay, so it's like, you know, a male is equal to a female, a black is equal to a white, a, a, a Hispanic is equal to an Asian, I and mean, everybody is equal, equal. And that was just never part of the American definition of the individual, you know. That, but I, I also think things on those concepts are very much split on party lines, and that the whole idea of the individual anymore is is a conservative principle. When I was writing my book, I was using I was, I was using the word uh, ambition quite a bit. And I just looked it up in the dictionary, and you can look it up on your dictionary app uh, right now if you want to, and it'll it'll use it in a sentence in kind of a derogatory way, like he was so ambitious that his classmates. Uh, didn't want to hang around with him or something like that. I mean, so, so ambition is even being taught in kind of a negative way, um, which is sad to me. Oh, I find that to be totally true, that it's used as a pejorative, that there's no way that you could be ambitious and moral, that the only way that you could be ambitious is to somehow cut corners or to want to take from other people, which of course is a zero-sum game of economics, which is inherent in leftist philosophy, so it's almost as if that you cannot uh, believe that someone can be ambitious and also simultaneously be moral. And this is something that the left uh, believes in inherently in their leftist Marxist economics of zero-sum game, that someone, if they get richer, someone must definitionally uh, must have gotten poorer. And I agree with you completely. I mean, I go to these, you know, sometimes I would be going to some of my old high school basketball games and grade school games just kind of checking in on how they're doing. And on some of the practices, the coaches would be like, well, we don't want to keep score because that would mean that one of these teams would be better than others. I say, this, this is nonsense. And so, I mean, there's no way you can, ever, you can ever have the true drive to succeed if you're not able to measure yourself up against the opposition. And then what does it actually matter if you're hustling or if you're doing better than the other person? Um, so let me ask a question. Um, I, I, in here, you talk about leadership. And so I'd love to get your take on this because there is a um, there's a kind of a split. Do you believe that people can be natural born leaders or do you think leadership is something that is a skill that is taught to people? You being yourself being a leader that has built something exceptional. Uh, what is your take? Is is leadership inherent or is it instructed? Well, you know, I, I didn't talk a lot about leadership in the book because you know I think leadership is overhyped, frankly. And um, I got that from listening to Peter Drucker uh, in his last decade or so. He made the observation that, you know, it's not 
so important about being a leader. It's more important about a person's values because uh, any, you know, Hitler was a great leader, just as an example. You know, any because here, here's my definition of a leader, and um, it is a, a leader. There's only three requirements. The first one is that you have a vision. The second one is that you are trustworthy, and the third one is that you're compassionate. Now, there's a lot of different layers of leaders. You know, um, uh, you know, my, my wife is a leader uh, in her circle. Okay, you know, I was a leader in the in the real estate industry. I was a leader at my company. You're a leader at Turning Point. I mean, uh, Donald Trump is a leader uh, at a much larger scale. <clears throat> you know, so you can be all different kinds of leaders. But but the, that's all leadership is is a vision, uh, trustworthiness and compassion now the compassion for over a passion of compassion for other people is, is pretty easy i think most people tend to have that some more than others um what was the middle one i forgot um oh the trustworthiness you know you cannot be a leader if you're not trustworthy and 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 as dennis prager says trustworthiness is the natural result of of trust, or I'm sorry, trust is a natural result of trustworthiness. You have to earn trust. But the vision is the hard part. That is the real hard part. And Charlie, like in your case, uh, Turning Point, you had a vision, clearly. And uh, and uh, it starts with that. So m m most people that want to be leaders don't have the vision. And th the best example is Martin Luther King. You know, his I Have a Dream speech, he laid out the vision and he laid out, and he was definitely trustworthy and, and cared about his followers. When, when I say compassionate, I'm talking about caring about your followers. And Charlie, for you, you've got to care about your followers at Turning Point, and I'm sure you do, and if and if you do, they'll follow you uh, if they know where you want to go. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. Do you owe money for student loan debt? Are you being crushed by the cartel to colleges? Do you have a grandson, granddaughter, son or daughter that do not know what they are going to do with their student loan debt? It's just keeping them up at night? Well, guess what? There is a path forward. It's called Credible.com. It's an online marketplace that gets you pre-qualified student loan refinancing rates from up to 10 different lenders. They are a shopping market to get you out of debt. They help people get out of student loan debt. And if you've got student loan debt, you could benefit. With a lower rate, you could save on interest and lower your monthly payment. It's cash in your pocket. Money in your pocket. With a shorter loan term, you could get debt-free faster. Consolidate all your student loan bills in one place. Credible customers have given awesome reviews about how much better their lives have been after refinancing their student loans. On Credible, you see actual pre-qualified rates from up to 10 different lenders, whereas at some other marketplaces, you only get a range of rates or ballpark estimates. Guess what? It only takes a couple minutes to check rates. You can get a student loan debt. Again, if you have student loan debt, why are you not going to Credible.com? It's the way to get out. Checking rates does not impact your credit. They'll never sell your data, so you won't receive spam and phone calls from dozens of lenders. So please visit Credible.com slash Charlie. That's C-R-E-D-I-B-L-E.com slash C-H-A-R-L-I-E. When you refinance your student loans, using this link, they'll give you a $200 gift card. That's Credible.com slash Charlie. Credible.com slash Charlie. And another part of the book that really strikes me on page 200, it's part of the chapter called Making Good Decisions. I talk about this all the time on college campuses. People say, well, Charlie, you know, we can't succeed in America. It's no longer afforded to us. And to be honest with you, I think that's also one of the reasons why 
young people are gravitating so far to the left and why your book is so sorely needed because people think that even if they act ethically and make the right choices, it doesn't result in anything. They think they're going to get inherently screwed. On page 200, you say, ideally, here are the seven basic steps to take before making every decision. Now, to compliment you, I've never seen such a granular equation to actually be able to make a decision. You say, clarify your goals and values, do your research, examine your alternatives, evaluate each of your alternatives against your goals and your values, make a decision, sleep on it, commit and take action. So th- this is this is a very uh, obviously important thing for young people that are listening to this podcast. They might be trying to make small decisions or big decisions. Can you talk about a time you didn't use this decision-making matrix that you were able to learn from? Uh, sometimes that you as a business owner might have made a mistake or a misstep that might have ended up being highly instructive to you to be able to obviously write this book and also create one of the most amazing real estate companies uh, in the history of the American Southwest? Well, obviously, I I laid out these seven steps because that is the theoretical correct way to make every decision. When I was in grad school, I had a a course in finance, and the name of the the book, the textbook, was Financial Decision-Making Under Uncertainty. So realizing that a lot of things in life are uncertain, uh, there were some steps that he offered to, to deal with your, your decisions. And so these are these are the, the, the theoretical seven steps. I think any important decision that you want to make, you should really go through those seven steps, just one at a time. But now for a lot of little things, I mean, you're not like, you know, should I wear this shirt or that shirt? You're not going to go through these seven steps. But uh but for the big decisions, you should, you know, and um, and I, I think some people are naturally better decision making than others. I mean, I think some people have that talent better than others. Um, but uh, but no matter how good of a natural decision maker you are, you can make yourself better. I mean, there's a range there. If you're a three, you can make yourself a seven. <laughs> you probably can't make yourself a ten, you know. And if you so, but you can definitely improve the decision making now. Um, you know, okay, to, to answer your question, um, uh, just before I started my own company, I ran a home building operation in Denver, Colorado, and uh, hired the wrong person, didn't know the market, didn't have enough equity backing from my partners, didn't spend enough time in Colorado, and and it totally failed, and it was huge. Uh, uh, setback for me. <clears throat> so that was a big, de- a big decision, set of decisions I made, that, of which I was dead wrong on all of them. But what happened? A year later, I started my my own home building company, and I had just gone through all those big mistakes, and there was no way in the world I would ever make those mistakes again. So making those mistakes was a huge plus for me, and that's that's the benefit back to hard work is when you or when you try hard things you fail and you make when you make bad decisions you fail but you learn and and if you ask anybody that has had a lot of success in this life they will tell you that the lessons they learned when they failed were the ones that set them up for success so i i want to close this interview by going through something that really stuck out to me on page 253 when you say entrepreneurial success, myth versus reality, I think this is very helpful. Myth, 
It's about great ideas. Reality, it's about solving a market problem. Myth, it's about the team. Reality, it's about the leader. Myth, it's about the passion. Reality, it's about adding value for customers. Myth, it's about the strategy. Reality, it's about the execution. Myth, it's about growth. Reality, it's about constant improvement. Can you talk a little bit about what it means to be an entrepreneur? Uh, you have five phases of entrepreneurial success here. Vision, struggle, journey, passion, purpose. I can agree completely with what you're saying here. And if, if I may continue to read from your book, uh, you, set, you put the advantages and disadvantages. I have to admit, I laughed at this. And this is a great book. Everyone should check it out. Again, the title is Solid Ground, A Foundation for Winning and Work in Life. And every young person out there that might be looking for a roadmap to be able to get yourself started, this is a great place. Advantages. You have a great boss. You set the agenda. You make decisions. You can create jobs and careers for others. Disadvantages to being an entrepreneur. You have a few days off. You can't quit. It takes a lot of work. It's risky. It's not easy. I agree with all of that. Um, I think that we over-glamorize entrepreneurial activity, and we're not honest enough about it. Um, Can you talk a little bit about that and kind of add some more detail to, uh, obviously, your talk here? And I see you mention a lot of my friends here. Uh, that and you see Trammell Crow here and many others. So uh, I mentioned in this book. So could you uh, talk a little bit about that as being an entrepreneur, starting from nothing, what it means to be a self-starter, and also kind of the myths and realities that I mentioned? Most people are not cut out to be uh, entrepreneurs, first of all. Uh, now, you can be a very small entrepreneur and run a taco shop or maybe a small restaurant. And, and theoretically, that would be an entrepreneur. But when I talk about entrepreneurship, I think I'm thinking about something at a larger scale, you know, maybe a company that has 50 to 100 or 1,000 employees. I mean, it's a bigger, a bigger operation. And uh, there just aren't a lot of people that are, that are really capable of doing that or even want to do that. Um, and, you know, the, if, you, if you go to your dictionary app again and look up the word entrepreneur, and I think this one is a fair definition, it says one who initiates and takes risk. Okay. So, uh, first of all, there aren't a lot of people that want to initiate, um, and then secondly, you have to you have to be willing to take risks, and that really narrows the field right there. But, but even uh, taking those risks and initiating is not the hardest part. The hardest part is having the personality to handle it. You know, and uh, you know, for example, uh, I talked about some of these things in, in the myths, but you know, and the personality characteristics, but you really have to have a very dominant uh, personality, uh, which you can get from an, an assessment. But you know, you have to be kind of a high D. I mean, a person that likes to be in charge and and likes to take control and likes to make decisions. And then, uh, and then your values also have to work. Uh, you know, research has been shown, and I and I know a man here in Arizona that was one of the top researchers on this in, in the history of the of the subject, his name is Bill Bonstetter. He was the founder of Target Training International. And what he learned about entrepreneurship over 40 years is that the utilitarian value and the theoretical value and the individualistic value as, as uh, evidenced in, in uh, some of the DISC assessments are really highly correlated with successful entrepreneurs. And I know that from my own experience, especially, you know, if you're uh, it takes it takes a fair amount of ego to be an entrepreneur, and it also takes a lot of dominance. So most people don't have those traits, and that's fine. Uh, there's a lot of other things they can be, but the really successful entrepreneurs 
typically have those personality characteristics. Well, Tom, in closing, is there anything else in the book that you do want to communicate? I want to make sure we plug it again, A Solid Ground, a Foundation for Winning and Working Life, especially for young people. It is a very important book uh, and one that if you, you will learn more in this book than college will ever teach you. I mean, there is more wisdom in this book than college could ever possibly give you. And it's being offered for a considerably less uh, expense than, than a college degree. No kidding. Um, you know, the only thing I would say, or I'd like to say at the end, and thanks for asking me some of these questions, is you know, the last five chapters are on success, purpose, meaning, wisdom, and happiness. <clears throat> and we all know those words, and as you get more experience in life, they, be- they become uh, more more meaningful to you. But everybody wants to be happy, and everybody wants to be successful. And and But what I've tried to do in those last five chapters is really try to clarify what those five very important words really mean. And I think when you understand something clearly, it helps you, under, it helps you make better decisions to accomplish it. And for example, I, I hope you really read the chapter on happiness, which is the final chapter, uh, because a lot of that wisdom comes from Dennis Prager. But when I read his book, uh, Happiness is a Serious Problem, you know, 20 years ago, I instantly became a happier person. And uh, so many of the things we do, we make ourselves unhappy, and uh, we can change that uh, instantly. So anyway, there's a lot of little tidbits and quotes and wisdom that hopefully will inspire you. This is not a, uh, this is a book that is intended to, to build you up and to show you a path that has worked for 2,500 years and will work today uh, no matter what. What I love about the book, and people can see it, it's written in very kind of short vignette, digestible bites. So it's very topical. It reads very easy. And so you can pick it up and put it down uh, with quite ease. So uh, one final time, it is Solid Ground, a foundation for winning and working life. Thank you, Tom, for joining the uh, Charlie Kirk Show. Lots to be learned from you. And uh, everyone go check out the book. Thank you, Charlie. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you have questions for me or for any of our guests, please email me, freedom at charliekirk.com, freedom at charliekirk.com. Hit that subscribe button and leave us those five-star reviews. And if you want to get involved with Turning Point USA, go to tpusa.com. That is tpusa.com. Get engaged, get involved, start a chapter, chip in some money if you can, tpusa.com. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. God bless. We begin today's meditation with a few sipping exercises to remind us a little treat can go a long way. So pick up your McCafe iced coffees, close your eyes, and deep sip in. And deep satisfaction out. (sighs) Take a treat retreat at McDonald's. Right now, get a McCafe iced coffee in any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price and participation may vary.